So I'm, and I guess that's also what, what my wife is, keeps telling me is like, why, why you never stop? <laughs> and, and, and that's what it is. I never stops for whatever I do. I, I keep doing, and I keep thinking that it can be bigger and can be better. Welcome to Startup Gym, a show about the hard work, coaches, and community that go into building a company. Our Startup Gym is Science Inc., an incubator and venture studio in Los Angeles, California. On this episode, we'll hear from Benoit Vater, founder and CEO of Mammoth Media. Mammoth has built a couple of apps you may have heard of in Wishbone and Yarn, both of which are at the top of the App Store. We talk apps, data, and content in the ever-changing world of media. Let's get into it. So one thing I like to ask to get started is that over the course of your career specifically, Mm -hmm. I know that you've started a bunch of companies. Mm -hmm. Right now you're CEO of Mammoth Media, which makes multiple apps that people would know, Wishbone, Yarn, Mm -hmm. that are in the top of the app store. So people might know you in a lot of different ways for a few different things. Mm -hmm. How do you like to introduce yourself? That's a very good question. Uh, I and and I think it evolved over the past, you know, ten years of my career about how I introduce myself. And and right now, I think I'm I've introduced myself as someone that that is a a builder and someone that uh, relentlessly executes mm. on things that he builds. So I build and then I scale faster than anybody else. That's mm-hmm. kind of my my thing. Yeah, you certainly do. I mean, you, I took a look at your LinkedIn before we talked, and you know, you've built a few different companies, quite yeah, a few actually. Yeah, yeah. It's. I think it's fair to say that you're a serial CEO. Let's go that I, way, uh, maybe. I, I think I, I called Mike the same thing when, when, I, uh, <laughs> when I interviewed him. So I think you two are cut from the same cloth there, <laughs> maybe. Um, yeah. And what I asked him about that, and I'll ask you the same thing: is what What do you think in you makes you that kind of leader? Uh, I think it's probably I'm never I. N- I never get enough. I always, I always want to do more. I always think I can do more. I always think there is something that I'm missing. Uh, I always think that it can be better. So I'm, and I guess that's also what what my wife is keeps telling me is like, why, why you never stops? <laughs> and 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 that's what it is. I never stops for whatever I do. I I keep doing, and I keep thinking that it can be bigger and can be better. So that's probably why I kept, you know building companies and, and building products. And, and yeah, I, I, just, I just don't stop. <laughs> right. Another way you've described it, I've listened to some of your past interviews, you've said that being an entrepreneur is, is about not being afraid to take a shot at something mm-hmm. that you think and you believe will be a great idea. Mm-hmm. So how do you personally filter what you think will be a great idea versus all the other things that could take your time? Uh, I usually filter it through data, uh, which means that, of course, there's first my guts that's telling me, okay, that's good, that's bad. I always had the, the gut filter first. And when when I went through that, I always bounced it by a few people as well, uh, Mike being one of them. Uh, I have people that I have a lot of respect for and and, and that I, I know are, are great uh, visionary and, and have amazing feedback anytime I ping them. So uh, that's my second filter. And when I've passed those two filters and I built, I usually try to execute pretty fast on an MVP, mm-hmm. uh, no matter what the idea is, get something out there. And, and, and when I get something out there, I make sure that I can get data out of what I built. Uh, and uh, with the data, I just, you know, with the data, I can get pretty quickly to a point where 
is it worth uh, doing more with it? Like maybe a few more iteration on it? Is it actually ready to just scale? Or let's just stop. So when you do look at the data, what is kind of the calling card for, all right, it's time to time to build this, time to go. Is there kind of a pattern that you've noticed as you build companies of what ends up being the right first step and when to make the right first step for turning an idea into a reality? Yeah, I mean, and, and it's pretty, like, what I always focus on is, is B2C, right? It's mm. always consumer-facing stuff. So mm. uh, it's, I, I'm, I'm not sure what I'm going to say applies to everything, but uh, sure. to what I'm working on, it's always, am I able to measure the value of a user and like, life, I, like lifetime value, lifetime value mm-hmm. of a user, and and am I able to predict that lifetime value pretty well with the data that I can ingest? And from there, if I know that and I'm pretty confident about the, this value, is can I uh, recoup my investment on acquiring a user with that lifetime value? If those two numbers match and are either neutral or positive, mm-hmm. then I know it's time to scale. Sure. I think that's a great approach. And actually, we're kind of starting to get into, I had a few questions lined up for Mammoth in mm-hmm. particular. Um, mm-hmm. So why don't we just get straight into it? We, sure. can, we can kind of circle back to your own background and how mm-hmm. you ended up there. But mm-hmm. do you want to give the quick summary of what Mammoth Media is in your own words? Yeah. Yeah. Mammoth Media is a, a, a micro entertainment mobile media company. And, and what that means is we are producing experiences, we're creating experiences to entertain users on the mobile phone. And why micro? Because Everything that we do is about two to four minutes at a time. Mm-hmm. And, and why? It's because that's the kind of behaviors that people have on the phone. Uh, after two, three, four minutes on the phone, you usually switch to something else. So we have to be able to bring entertainment in that amount of time. What are some of the unique challenges of building for two minutes at a time? It's to engage very quickly. <laughs> because the way they can uh, bounce quickly uh, it can bounce very, very quickly. So even in, within the first 10, 15, 20 seconds, you mm. need to get their attention. You need to get them to maybe interact with the content or want to consume more. All before two minutes with, or four minutes with what you had to get them to a point they get excited. Now it's four minutes is by the time they are done consuming. So you need to get people excited within 10, 15 seconds. It is a challenge. Sure. What are some of the challenges for cranking? I'm sure that just means you have to crank out a ton of, of content. Yes. So how do you think through just your the volume of the content you put out? So volume is important, but uh, quality is also critical mm-hmm. because volume alone doesn't get you there. Uh, so it's a, it's a high quality of high quality content. <laughs> and and to do that, it's a, yeah, it's a big challenge because... Uh, you know, content development is, and especially when it comes to high standards of quality, usually moves pretty slow. Uh, so it's it's a good process. It's uh, data loop feedback, uh, very well uh, set up, meaning that when you create a piece, you understand if that piece works very quickly. So you can create more of that very similar type of content. It's so like a machine. It's a machine. I mean, you have to yeah. build a machine that fit itself and that that you learn from very quickly. It always comes down at the end of the day from you need to have very creative people, but also they need to be supported by tons of data. If you get those two things in the same room, in the same building, you're pretty sure you can produce a ton of content and tons of quality content. So how did you 
get started on this. How did you end up, I know it's kind of a roundabout story, but can you give us the origin story of Mammoth Media? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I was um, I was looking at the space because I was at that time CEO of PlayEven, which was a, a mobile ad network um, where most of the publishers were uh, games. And I was uh, so impressed by the ability to distribute and monetize their games uh, better than anybody in the space. And and I was I was like, why nobody ever thought that way when it comes to content? And the reality is that um, the content folks have a completely different DNA. They think about their content as a piece of engagement, a piece of entertainment, it's bringing value to the content itself. But you can see that what people thought through TV or through newspaper before, which means that they need to, to know how to get their newspaper in front of every single house or to get their content on every single TV. The digital people never thought that way. And I still ask myself why, I don't know. But people that start working and building content for the digital age didn't think distribution monetization. Hmm. They thought about producing content and then it was like, no problem. I have Facebook, I have Snap, I have Instagram. They will distribute my content. They will monetize my content. But how can that be okay Like to rely on a third party to basically take care of the core of your business? And, and I, can, I can quote the, the CEO of Fox who say, content is king as long as you reach your users. And the problem is everybody up until now, up until us, was like, content is king. It will get to the user. I don't know how it will get there. Right. No, that doesn't work. And, and so why I started Mammoth is because I wanted to be that entertainment media company. But in order to do that, I had to build a platform for distribution and monetization. And I did that. And, and, and with that in place, now I was able to think about format and I was about to think about content for that specific format. So sure. that seems... You know, obvious, but look at today still, people are heavily relying on social platform. And and I think it's important to say social platforms. They think that social platform can be a distribution platform. And 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 we see today the, the issues that social media platform have by having both social meeting content in the same place. And you can see the the folks at Facebook that few weeks ago at Code, uh, we're saying, you know, if you don't like Facebook, you don't have to be on Facebook talking mm -hmm. to publishers, which is true. Facebook was not developed to support publishing. It was mm -hmm. a social platform. Right, so, kind of matured into it. Exactly. So it's a big shakeup in the industry, and it's a good validation for us, and it's also just repeating itself as what media was before with newspaper, what it is with TV, you have to have your distribution and monetization. Right. I think it's Gary Vaynerchuk who says, content is king, but context is God. It's yeah. like it's, the content has to go through the right context to reach the end user. Yeah. And to an extent, that context has to educate the content and how you build it from the ground up. I know that in term, when we talk about the context and the medium, Mammoth Media has multiple properties, mm -hmm. right? So can you can you take us through... Wishbone, Yarn, the different apps that you have, how they differ and how they all kind of roll into that strategy yeah. of, of context. Uh, so, and I, I always use this analogy, which I think makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's the analogy of TV. Uh, when we build uh, uh, apps and experiences, 
the idea is to be able to reach to different audience with obviously that means different type of entertainment experiences. Um, TV, they have very different type of shows that have been very successful. And for us, our first show, our first app was Wishbone. And if you compare it to what it was, uh, to what a show on TV that is very similar, it's a ridiculousness or American Phineas video. It's user-generated, hmm. driven app. Mm-hmm. That's what Wishbone is. And we got a lot of interest through that format. It's consuming content that someone else created and it is, and it is very entertaining. That's what Wishbone is. The next one, which is Yarn, is very similar to what you have on TV when you go and you consume a, a 90210, a Friends, a Seinfeld, like all those shows, the drama shows that you come in every day or once a week, you tune in and you consume. Yarn is the same thing, is serialized fiction quality content. And that's been a very successful format before, and it's again a very successful format on mobile. It's not video only, it's shorter format, but it's still something that you are looking forward to consume. And it's uh, always at the same time, always on the same day, and and you have seasons, so you have you know hmm. stories that unfold in front of you. That's what Yarn is all about. Fiction serialized. Right. Now, what is the next one? <laughs> That's what, that's what we're thinking all the time. And we keep thinking, what are those shows that trigger some very unique emotions on other media before that will probably trigger similar emotions on mobile? We'll just have to adapt it and, and kind of format it in a way that works for mobile. So we're thinking right now, other, sh- other shows that have been very successful are the game shows. What about uh, Wheels of Fortune? What about The Price is Right? very successful shows on TV. How can we create that on mobile? That's exactly what we're thinking as we speak. <laughs> right. And and I'm sure we, there are some things we can't even talk about. But exactly. We'll, <laughs> we'll talk about it soon. Exactly. And we're, I'm sure we're very excited to, to hear yeah. when we can talk about it. But it, as you talked about, you know, it being once a day, twice a day, being at the same time, the shows being, you know, a time for users to tune in. Mm-hmm. How do you think through notifications? Because I know that in an article with New York Times from a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. you talked about how when you were initially building, you weren't sure if your demographic wanted to receive a bunch of notifications, but after doing the research, at that time at least, they did. They wanted the notifications because they wanted to be there and feel like something was happening. I guess, one, is that still true? Do do Does your demographic still want notifications all the time? And then two, what are some examples of apps that do notifications well? Yeah, so notifications for me is the bloodstream of the app. You have to have push notifications. You have to understand how to leverage that well. Without the proper push notification strategy, you won't be able to scale an app. That's it. That That's simple. And, and I remember a, a good friend of mine at Snap that used that uh, that phrase, that quote saying that uh, an app without push notification is an angel without its wings. And that's hmm. pretty true. Uh, and so uh, for f- for us, yes, it's still true. Uh, is it true that they always want a ton of push notification? No, it's not. It, it is true for Wishbone, which is a 12 to 15 years old girls in the U.S., hmm. They love push notification for a lot of reasons that we talked about in the article that you just mentioned. When you get maybe in an in a older 
uh, uh, audience, it's not always true. But what is true is that if you're relevant with your push notification, they want to get that push notification. So when it comes to content with Yarn, to tell them that there is a new episode on a show that they've been watching, mm. yes, they better get it. They want it. They want to know. Sure. If you don't let them know that there's a new episode, they actually kind of get upset that they didn't get notified. <laughs> so, so it is, push notification is critical. Now, what are the apps that are using push notifications well? Uh, besides ours? <laughs> of course yours. Yours is at the top of the list. Exactly. Too, you know, so. So, so, so ours. Uh, beyond that, for me, like when I, when I look at at least what is on my phone, I, I would say uh, Instagram is pretty strong. Mm. Uh, Facebook is terrible, uh, which is kind of <laughs> odd. They are kind of in the same building, but maybe it's also because of who I am. And, mm. and I'm, maybe they have a good strategy for me as an audience. Uh, so Instagram is a, is a very strong one for me. I think uh, CNN is pretty good. Mm. Uh, I get CNN uh, uh, push notifications that are always relevant to me. Right. Breaking news. Breaking news. Sometimes it's not actually breaking news, but still relevant. Mm-hmm. Something that I actually find myself opening and, and reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very good. So I think I th- you... You touched on a good point there in that answer, which is it depends on the demographic, right? Exactly. And, it depends on your audience. What what the audience wants is going to yeah. vary, especially with something as personal as personal notifications. Yeah. I, I have most of mine off, but I'm, yeah. I know I'm a different audience than yeah. than the audiences for uh, for your apps. I'd like to talk a little bit about the audiences mm-hmm. that, that you're reaching with your apps. So mm-hmm. how would, you know, obviously you've been described, your company has been described in the news as reaching teens, mm-hmm. but... How do you describe your audience? Who's your demographic? Yeah, we started with teens. We are heavy with teens. We are going beyond that. Like any media company, you have to start with the core audience and then you expand on that audience. So with Wishbone, clearly we went with teens. With Yarn, we actually went slightly older, Hmm. right? We are going into the millennials. Um, And anytime we build actually a new app or a new experience, we're thinking that way. We're thinking... How can we get some overlap with our existing audience, but how can we expand the audience that we already have? Mm-hmm. And Yarn was that compared to Wishbone. Yes, on Wishbone, on Yarn, sorry, we have some of the, you know, 14 to 16 years old, but our core audience now on Yarn is 18 to 25. So right. we've been able to expand while still having some overlap with Wishbone. What are some things that go into the thought process? Because I, I've thought through that and that makes sense to me, but how do you balance the risk of wanting to acquire new users and kind of age up with your demographic and being able to expand that? But at the same time, you have to reduce churn. You don't want to, you know, change your app and then suddenly it doesn't work for people who are, you know, teens anymore. How do you balance churn and, you know, user acquisition Mm -hmm. with an app that is targeted to certain demographics? So first having, uh, different apps helps a lot mm-hmm. because you can kind of narrow it down on a very specific audience on a very specific app. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a, an important one. Uh, the second thing is uh, personalization of the user experience. So the ability to personalize to who you are. So when you come in the app, you feel that it's made for you. is super important. And we're going through that process right now on Yarn where we want to make sure that when you land on the uh, on the first page of the app, you feel that that app is for you, and that's obviously mm-hmm. from the content that we put in front of you, and 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 we see that that it has a again using my data filter, it has a huge impact. Right, Not having just a standard catalog in front of 
the same catalog in front of everybody compared to be able to even like just personalize the top role of the catalog has a tremendous impact. So be able to keep doing user acquisition without churning an existing audience. I would say, yes, the key is either you develop more destinations or you personalize, hyper-personalize your experience. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. That's a good point. You know, we see a lot out there about teens and millennials and now Gen Z and, and how much there is out there targeted to these specific groups. When you started with Wishbone, mm-hmm. that was for millennials at the time, mm-hmm. right? And now the target, at least the target age for Wishbone would now be considered Gen Z almost. Mm-hmm. So you've been through or are going through different cycles of generations and you're you're constantly optimizing based on data around what these kids care about. Mm-hmm. In your experience, what's the difference between millennials and Gen Z, and how how do you optimize for each of them? You know what what what's the difference in those two audiences? I know a lot of people talk about this out there. There's yeah. obviously plenty of articles written, but you are someone who has a unique perspective, given that you're building for both. So here's the answer: is probably what I'm going to say now is not for tomorrow, <laughs> and and that's that's the biggest challenge is right. whatever makes sense to a Gen Z, to a millennial, to a teen, to different audience, especially on those very young audience, change so fast. I mean, I have young kids and I see that. What they are passionate and so into today is going to be completely different tomorrow. And that's the challenge as a company to always be relevant with the content that we put in front of them. Mm-hmm. And and the first way, the, 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 first, you know, the way we are uh, tackling that is first by having a team that is really plugged in within those audiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also by doing a lot of talking to the audience. So we go beyond just the app itself and, and understanding what they are looking for and what is exciting to them. Right, you do focus groups yeah, all the time. Yeah, it's on our phone calls because mm-hmm. obviously uh, talking to people on the West Side in LA is not necessarily representative of what's going on in the US. <laughs> uh, so we have, to, we have to go beyond that. But to answer your question about uh, w- what is the difference between those two, I, th- I think bec- between like, and ch- so people don't get confused about Gen Z, millennial, like let's let's use age groups. Sure. Uh, you know, the let's call the, the 12 to 16 years old uh, are extremely driven by what they see on social platforms, meaning social celebrities, influencers, I want you want it. Whatever those people do today, is what they will be into today. Hmm. So uh, that's you have to follow those people to understand what is relevant today. And so it's, it, is the content based on the so the subjects of the content are people. Yes, for, usually for for this you know twelve to sixteen or or thing that they are into. Let's mm-hmm, take the mm-hmm. example of two days ago, Logan Paul get into p- to play Fortnite sure. on his Xbox. Then suddenly Fortnite is the game that you have to play on your Xbox, mm-hmm. right? That kind of thing. Right. Uh, when you get into an older audience, it's uh, you see that there is much more importance in the quality of the content, where the younger don't really care. Hmm. And what I mean by quality is the the way you tell the story. The way you uh, you execute on telling the story, the video is a very important piece of telling a story. Where the younger don't, yeah, video text it doesn't matter as long as it's what Logan Paul said. I'll do, 
that kind of yeah. thing. So they are much more like, um, it's much more important to them the quality of what they consume. So you've learned a lot about these demographics, mm -hmm. these kids. What are some things that have surprised you? Uh, things that you've learned about teens that you didn't know before uh, that surprised you now? Well, there are a lot of those. <laughs> I think the latest one is that uh, younger folks are, are okay to pay for content. Hmm. And that may be a bold statement because it's easy for them to be okay because most likely it's not them. It's basically sure. they use their parents' account. But at Does least part of that come down to how you integrate it into the app? Yes, for sure. Uh, the way that it's and the way that Apple or Google made mm -hmm. it so easy to subscribe to buy through IAP is probably helpful. But the fact that the dynamic between the kid and the parents allow them to spend very easily on those devices is fascinating and not something that I was necessarily expecting. Sure. When do you typically? sell you know your users what what have you found to be the most effective place or point at which to you know to monetize immediately hmm. that's the thing you think and then maybe that's unique to the younger audience you you probably don't want to wait three four five days before you put a a, a wall in front of them to hmm. buy or to pay uh it's 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 pretty much right away. It's definitely within the first session. You don't have to wait for a second session to mm. monetize. And within the first session, most of the time, it's very early on in the first session. That's interesting. I, I think that a lot of people listening maybe who are, you know, in an older demographic or have, have been around tech for a while, the traditional wisdom might be to, to hook your users first and then upsell them kind of the freemium model. But it's interesting that it, it, it's almost the opposite with it, younger groups. hundred percent. Yeah, it is. It, and I think that comes with this, uh, like we were talking about earlier, is that you have to engage them very quickly. Mm -hmm. The same way you have to engage them with it quickly, then when they are engaged, make sure that you monetize them right away. Sure. <laughs> so we're talking about money. I, I want to switch gears a little bit and ask mm -hmm. you a, a bit of a tougher question. One is, as you are kind of putting out content for teens, is there a... Is there a message that you care about them reading or are you ag message agnostic? Is there a message that tends to come up a lot? I know you have, you know, you have your staffed writers mm -hmm. and you, you know, you bring in all kinds of content. Um, but, you know, one, what you talked about how they care about influencers, mm -hmm. you know, and the message almost is the influencer. <laughs> um, but as you think through what message you want through your platform, is there anything that you, you care about getting out there? A specific message, not necessarily, but uh, for sure, um, raising the standard in terms of quality hmm. uh, and having not having them just going through hours of uh, YouTube content hmm. or having them just going through their social feed and seeing the same prank type of content, like very boring at some point and repeating content. Mm -hmm. So yes, I'm trying to hold a standard in terms of quality of content that we put in front of that audience. Then in terms of message, it's more what I don't want to have. Mm -hmm. So anything around, uh, you know, everything that is lack of respect sure. has to get out and something that I've 
no tolerance for? Yeah, definitely the, you know, these apps and specifically I spent a bunch of time today on Yarn, like mm. going through those, that content, it's like, it's, it's a very, it seems like a very safe place. It seems like a place where I can go and I can enjoy content. I don't have to worry about, you know, the comment section or, you know. And, and that was by design, right. right? By design, we are making sure that we didn't want to build a community we, of writers. We want to have full control around what we put in front of the audience. Mm -hmm. Uh, for some, for the quality of the content, for sure, for the standard I was talking about, but also to not have that kind of crazy stuff to deal with. And sure. and the same thing when we did Wishbone. Wishbone is user generated content, so there are comments, mm -hmm. and we spend a lot of time and money to moderate all of this. And it's a it's a twenty four seven type of job. But also that's why we don't allow people, or when we create content, we never put content of people comparing themselves to someone else. Or it's always about a topic, about something that you like, not about you. And I, when we talk also about why Wishbone probably has so much success is because everything today when it comes to younger folks is how cool you are, how cool your school is, how cool your vacations are. And that's a lot of pressure on those kids where Wishbone is nothing about themselves but about what they like. And, and it's, uh, I think it's a much safer and much healthier place to be. So kind of on the home stretch here, I'd like to go through just kind of a random mix of questions. You know, we, go for we, it. I crowdsourced some of these here in the Great. office. And so uh, a few of these are coming from a few different people, but awesome. some of these are going to be more rapid fire. So Got let's it. get through some of these. Love this. Apps you use every day other than Mammoth Media apps. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Twitter, Apple News, uh, my email, Slack. What's a new app that you're excited about? A new app that I'm excited about, Snap. It's okay. not a new app, okay. but it's new every day. I'm really excited to see what's next. Well, it's I'm, very new as of you know this month, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's new update. For me, it's a mix of, of fear and excitement when I think about Snap. And <laughs> it's an it's a LA company, and I want them to be successful. So I'm excited about what's next. I think it's probably a mix of fear and excitement for Snap, too. <laughs> probably. <laughs> All the time. Yeah. <laughs> what would you be doing if you weren't leading Mammoth? Uh, I would be traveling around the world and, uh, and living a very healthy lifestyle, um, good food, good workouts, and just chilling. Sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> What's a piece of advice you find yourself constantly giving? He doesn't have to be perfect. Best piece of advice you've been given? Look at your data every day. Advice you'd give your former self five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. You can start in either direction. Yeah. Uh, 15 years ago uh, is uh, go to the U.S., which I did. Mm -hmm. I was back in France, just to give you a little yeah. background. Yeah, actually, I, I have a I have a follow up question to yeah. that that we didn't get to earlier. So, um, so, so get out of get out of where you are. Sure. Uh, that was an advice that I, you know, I, I gave myself, and I, I would still give myself. When, uh, um, when you came over to the U.S., yeah. What were some things that really helped you kind of you know make that transition? What advice would you give people who are you know looking to come over to the U.S. from somewhere else, or even just looking to go anywhere new? Yeah, uh, so coming to the U.S., I would say follow the process, be patient, be legal, hmm. big thing. That's something that I took pride of, and I think a lot of people should do. Hmm. Uh, you are a guest in this country. 
and do it right and the country will treat you right. And mm -hmm. so that will be a, a big advice that I will give to people that want to come to the U.S. So that's your 15 years ago. 10 yeah. years ago, self, what advice would you give that person? 10, 10 years ago will be um, think through things more. I was too extreme and too fast to make decisions, which maybe were good because that led me to do a, to make a lot of mistakes, which probably is good, but at some time I think I could avoid a lot of those mistakes. Mm -hmm. So think a little bit more <laughs> before you take action. <laughs> okay, and then five years ago. Five years ago is uh, get into mobile media. Which I, you did, so. Too late. For me, I, I, I mean, it's good, good timing. I'm, I'm, I'm excited mm -hmm. about it, but I wish I had even started sooner. Hmm. Cool. What do you think is the future of media? That's a broad question. Yeah. It's it asked a lot. So, and, and I think we should do the same thing 5, 10, 15, 20 years <laughs> from now. I think the future of media is, um, is definitely, uh, I think the quality is just going to be outstanding. Uh, it's, uh, It's, it's just going to be more and more top quality content. The future of media is short form, mm -hmm. no doubt. The future of media is subscription. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. Uh, and the future of media is, is, um, is probably still TV. A lot of people are uh, saying TV is dead. I think is the, is the way you get content to people that is dead, meaning that broadcasting through cable box is probably not there, will not be there in 10 years from now. But I think the biggest, big screen will mm -hmm. still be there. Sure. And, and, and I think it's important to say, because a lot of people say TV, TV, and you associate TV to screen size. And I think the big screen is still a big piece of media moving forward. Hmm. Do you think episodic content is still? Big time. Yeah. Yeah. Serialized content. So it's more the, the way you get that content. Exactly. It's the way as a it. broad term. Yeah, so. exactly. In what ways have you grown the most? And again, this could be a whole other <laughs> podcast, but you know, let, let's boil it down to what's one way you think you've grown the most in the past year from working at Mammoth as a CEO, mm -hmm. but then also just personally. Uh, yeah, that's a very good question. I, I think I'm, uh, oh, I'm, And that, that's back to the question you asked me earlier, is that I'm thinking a lot more of what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm stepping back a lot more. And I learn about how to do that. Uh, usually before I was just going for it and, and, not, and not necessarily stepping back and trying to figure out what is the best approach. Right now it's step back, think, act fast, still moving fast, but make sure you step back before you move fast. And that's my big thing. And it's true with Mammoth. It's true with life. Sure, with everything. That's great. So you just announced a fundraising round. Mm -hmm. Congrats. Thank you. What are your goals as a team for the next 12 to 18 months? You know, that's something that you think about a lot as you're fundraising and you're going out to these VCs. They ask you, okay, well, what are you going to do with the money in the next year and a half? So it's, it's to build more of those experiences, of their entertainment experiences. So it's, it's translating in more apps. Uh, it's one thing. Mm -hmm. The second thing is... Uh, is growing yarn way beyond what it is today. There is so much potential with that destination, with that app, that we have a big plan on what we want to do. And we clearly believe that we're on a path to become the Netflix for younger folks. And there's obviously a lot to do to get there. 
but we are on a path to do that and I'm really excited to roll this out. So yes, those are the two things that we are we, we are going to tackle over the next 12 months. Awesome. Looking forward to that. And I think everybody here listening is looking forward to watching that. It's going to be an exciting road ahead. Last question. Mm-hmm. Your most amazing moment so far at Mammoth. <laughs> I think that's uh, when we got the metrics right on Yarn and we start turning up the dial on user acquisition and go from, I would say probably in less than six days from zero to 100,000 installs a day wow. was was super exciting. And to see the dynamic around me, the team being so excited, like it was amazing. Awesome. Well, Benoit, thank you so much for having this conversation. I certainly enjoyed it, and I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to come across great to those listening. You Thanks know, for having me. Where can people find you or, or Mammoth or anything you want to plug here at the end? Yeah, Mammoth is ma- Mammoth.la. Uh, on uh, Twitter is at Mammoth Media, and myself, it's at Bvater, B-V-A-T-E-R-E on Twitter. Awesome. That was great. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks again to Benoit Vater for a really interesting conversation. I loved learning about what makes his brain work and what makes Mammoth Media run and how they're able to keep the attention of millions of people around the world. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you'd share it and leave a rating on this podcast. My name's Laz, at Laz Alberto on Twitter, if you have any feedback. Thanks for listening. What?